0: The thing that I really wanted to start off with is a story about me dropping off the microphone at Christina's house. Because what happened was Christina sent me a message and was like, okay, I can come pick it up. And I wasn't home. It was I like, okay, I dropped the ball. I'll drop it off at your house. She's like, cool. So Christina sends me her address. And last night I dropped it off and I texted her as I left. And I said, okay, I left it outside the fountain. And Christina texts <laughs> me back and she says... I don't have a fountain. I don't have a fountain.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can't write this material, ladies. I love it. So I already felt like a creep. That I had gone onto
0: somebody's front lawn to drop something off, and like the motion detector lights came on oh my as gosh. I dropped it off, and then I had to remove something from
1: somebody's front lawn with the motion lights going off, and I was like, and "You're like a is- raccoon in the in the night running around." Oh, this that is delightful. So I just feel like that really sets the tone it does. for Act Locally yes. because
0: we're gonna have the professional Christina come in and tell us how we've been doing this all wrong (laughs) she's gonna drop there is no fountain there is no (laughs) fountain for shed here's how you do life
1: she's putting the motion light on our lack of (laughs) knowledge and activism (laughs) on today's episode of act locally we sit down with christina bustos one of the champions for proposition 208 For those of you who are new to the activism scene, Christina has some nuggets of wisdom for you. For those who are ready for bigger legal action, she's got you covered. Stay tuned.
0: Okay, I'm going to do something here, and I don't know what else to call it except for podsplaining. And I don't mean to podsplain Christina, because what she's going to say to you is so important and so good. It really speaks for itself, but I'm going to guess that you are not taking notes In the way that I took notes when we listened to Christina's words of wisdom. And the thing that I really want you to listen out for is this idea of intersectionality. And it's a word that kind of gets thrown around in activism and I really want you to see how it plays out here in education. The idea that you can be an activist in one area but not understand the issues surrounding it is actually ridiculous. So we talk about race in this episode even though we're talking about Prop 208. I want you to hear The connections between race and education, just to understand at the basic level why this proposition is so important. P.S.
2: Admittedly, I've never actually listened to a podcast except for maybe like once when somebody was like sharing something with me.
0: I'm excited for you to (laughs) be on one. Yeah, from zero to sixty, (laughs) and this is great. (laughs) Don't be afraid of your microphone. You can aim it right at your. Yes, angle it right at you. There you go, because we don't want your sound to be quiet. We want you to be heard. We want you to feel heard, Christina.
1: And feel awkward at the same time. That's what we If like. you're not feeling awkward, girl, are, are you even yeah. here? Come on. <laughs> right. All right. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We have Christina Bustos here, who has been working on Prop 208. A lot of you may know it as Invest in Ed. So if that sounds familiar to you, then Prop 208 is what you're going to be looking for. So let's go ahead and just start with a general in 60 seconds or less Tell us, and we won't actually time you. So okay. uh, but tell us about just your your history and politics, kind of like how you got into this.
2: If I were to go all the way back, you know, I did a help with a governor's race, and that got me kind of inspired to just like keep going with volunteering. Um, and I think in 2018, when Invest in Ed first came, the first time around, I had already been doing petitions at that point in time. So that's probably, oh gosh, 12 years after, you know, I first got my feet wet and like volunteering. I have the claim to fame that I was the first person to turn a petition in when we were trying to put it onto the ballot. Yeah, when we were doing our, (laughs) our six day walkout, I'm the first person to turn a petition in the first time around. This was this was ki-
1: this was kismet then that you were supposed to be a part of this. Yeah. Great. yeah
2: so from there I mean really that was just a six-week whirlwind event of you know just craziness all around and um, it was really really hard on me but it really helped build the momentum for me like people say oh we took a, a break but we've never stopped
0: can you talk to us about that being hard on you
2: So at the time I had a, I guess he would be, how long ago was that? I don't even remember when it was, but um, I guess like 400 years ago. (laughs) I had a three-year-old. He was almost four. And so I'm a single mother um, and teacher, right? So while this is happening, I'm teaching in a school where I was having a hard time. At that time, it really just propelled me to work on something that I love and was passionate about because I had been looking for something for the last year. I had felt like I was missing something. And so it really just gave me something to focus on and move myself through that time you know, my last event that I did was like a July 4th celebration event, you know, right before two years ago, right? And I remember using that photo to say, hey, I'm Christina, and I'm moving to a new district. And I used that photo to say, hey, I'm here, and I'm excited. And then fast forward a couple of months, and it's not on the ballot. That was devastating. It was hard. And I took races hard in the past. I did recall our PIO campaign. And so if you were around in Arizona at that time, they actually didn't turn their signatures in because they were fearful of what would happen to the people if they turned in signatures and didn't have enough. So anyways, during that time, it was like, five days all together at the, the Maricopa County court, all together for five days, like nonstop, seventeen hours a day. That devastated me and I had to take a really long hard look back. So fast forward to Red Fred the walkout, I was much better equipped to pace myself and do things as I could. So we carried signs in our car. We had a wagon in our car at all times in case I needed to go somewhere. We would carry extra signs in case we needed to do something or we had window markers. It's hilarious that as a, I would say maybe protester, activist, whatever, you have a bag of gear that you get out you know when you get ready to go and you're, and we always kept a red shirt in the car and we always kept red umbrellas and we had you know whatever we needed to do to be ready to go on the drop of a hat. That was helpful. But then, you know, fast forward to when it when it didn't pass, we were able to say to ourselves, "Okay, we need to take a step back and rethink things." I think as a Mexican-American woman, as a person of color, a, uh, a brown person of color, it is easier for me to bounce back from this defeat in a way that maybe others might not be used to and here's why you know privilege while my people may say it it doesn't exist it is very apparent that it does exist i think a lot of teachers cannot fathom that you would not treat teachers with respect that you would not treat them the way that they deserve to be treated, and that if they could just listen to you, they would see your side of the story, right? And so as we look at our teaching profession, I I think it's like 80% white women. I think that for me, it was not as difficult. This was just the first round. And, And then if you think about this, if you backtrack to Ferguson, so how does Ferguson and this prop tie in? Well, it does because there's just been a lot of fighting and it's just been slow progress that's being made with Michael Brown dying. That was very difficult for people, but it was one of the first real, I mean, Trayvon Martin, but that was not by a cop. Those things, people are starting to chip away at what they once knew, the privileges that they once had or being able to identify the privileges that they w- that they have obviously that's not at all on the same playing field what happened with Michael Brown and like Prop 2 not at all and I don't I'm not trying to draw that parallel in the sense that that progress is slow until it's immediate and so when it's immediate you have to take advantage of it i would say right now we are in this fast progress year 2020 has been the worst year ever. But at the same time, it has been one of the most enlightening years for white people about the plight of black, brown, indigenous people. Like if you look at some of the things that happened when we first went on COVID, whatever it was called, our quarantine, kids didn't have computers at home. So what was our idea? Give them packet. Then we started thinking about, well, wait a minute, what do you do if they're in a rural community? How do you help kids in a rural community to be successful when they're on this like quarantine? And not only that, at the same time, we are now talking about our Navajo and Hopi people that are being decimated by this thing and they have to fight that and they have to fight their location. It has a lot of difficulties that come with it for getting supplies up and access to internet or even light and things like that. Um, down south, same thing. You know, look at what happened in Yuma. The, the cases just spiked. and And we want to think about those things in connection with just here in Mesa, for instance, we didn't have computers for them. We didn't have one-to-one computers. We weren't able to just have the kids use their home computer. No, they're not around. So then we wonder, why don't they have these things? And then you could blame it on parents. It is not about parents. This is about, does our state adequately fund our schools? Do they prepare for these types of quote-unquote rainy day situations. I mean, can we just talk about how much rainy day funds there are currently? Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, th- and this goes back to Invest in Ed with the rainy day fund. We were talking about that back then, you know, first yeah. time around. So now COVID has amplified the necessity to equity in a way that is never never happened before.
0: You know, it was interesting that it wasn't just about highlighting the inequity between students, it was also highlighting or it has also highlighted the inequity between teachers. So oh, yeah. I can There was a certain district that lets teachers work from home or you can work in the school. Um and it was the teachers who worked from home were wealthier, they had a spouse to support their income. And they could use their home computers and they could use their home devices. They could buy a webcam if they needed to because district didn't provide any of these things for the teachers. If you had them, you could use them at home. But the teachers who are relying upon a teacher's salary – we don't have money for a webcam our internet is terrible we don't have a properly working computer at home and so it wasn't just that we weren't funding students it wasn't even just showing it was this the teachers who showed up at school because they didn't have the access to these things at home were the poor teachers
2: yeah that's that's really interesting too because i have a picture of me back in march where I'm sitting at the school that's right by my house because my internet went down and it's usually about two o'clock that it doesn't work and I had unfortunately made my class times at two o'clock. And so here I have my class time when my internet isn't working (laughs) and it's happening daily. Well, I do agree that some teachers were staying home. I think it was also the district's ability to help out. I was in a district where they didn't have laptops. I was in a district that they didn't even ever use anything like that. So those districts had to get teachers laptops, That, you, like what you're saying. We uh, have district issued laptops. And so we're lucky in that instance. But still, we've never been trained on how to use them, right? Not in this way. So again, now we go back to this thing that highlights inequity among certain groups, right? And so we're saying like, at least it's shining a light on these things. Well, what it also shined a light on is the fact, and I don't know that every teacher will say this, but that teachers Need to be developed professionally, not just from their first go round when they were like a young teacher, but continually. And that is another thing that is most districts do not have available to them. Most districts do not have the ability to go to trainings, to learn
1: ho- new things, to grow in new ways. Which I find kind of crazy because I feel like in education, at least as long as I've been in education for like 15, 16 years, I mean, they've reinvented the wheel so many times on us multiple times in a year and we're expected to just kind of you know just know and just work your way through it just deal with it it'll be fine but like you said they just don't have the training available and so we're just making do with what's thrown at us and it's I mean it's really destroying a lot of teachers at this point it's driving everybody crazy
2: and I think it goes back to like if you think about um, the way in which the system is set up For teachers right now, currently, I feel that uh, there's just a whole degree of privatization that is going on that reinforces penalizing teachers when they can't do something and highlighting the inabilities of districts when it's not the inability of the district. It's the inability of the state to fund the schools appropriately and to invest in teacher knowledge and student Knowledge. It is truly on their part an opportunity for them to separate those kids from the other kids, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there goes the teachers. And then how do you align yourself? You know, a lot of these teachers are having had a really tough go round the first time because they thought about how they had to fight so hard to get their family to see why they deserved those five demands that the AEU had, right? And they didn't get any of them. And then they had to fight really hard because we used the word taxes. Oh, God forbid we <laughs> raise taxes. I mean, every- There's a lot of
1: pearl clutching at that point
2: yeah. for that. Yeah. Like, every time I ever teach fifth grade history, we're talking about taxes. It's funny because England needs to pay for the war. Somebody I, needs to pay for this stuff.
0: I was thinking the other day, I was, here's, here was my wacky idea. I was like, what if students when they graduated and they became insanely successful doing whatever making their billions of dollars because a teacher taught them how to do it (laughs) what if they owed that teacher a percentage of their wild income and then I was like wait they already do it's called taxes (laughs) and so (laughs) (laughs) that that exists like oh
1: wait (laughs) well, <laughs> My idea already exists. And yeah. OK. All right. Well,
2: let's just talk about that for a second then, though. So right. <laughs> so let's talk about that wildly successful person. So Invest mm-hmm. in Ed, Proposition 208 says we're going to tax people, right? We're not going to tax everybody. We're going to tax 1% of the population. 1% of Arizona. It's not 1% of the country. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mm -hmm. 1% of our population. The people that live here and drive on our roads and go to our parks and go to our schools or don't and use our library and use our um, bus systems or no, maybe they don't use the bus bus system, but maybe (laughs) they use the light rail to go to games.
0: Mm-hmm. Or more to the point they use the labor of somebody who uses the bus system. Absolutely. Yes. What is the, what's the expression a high tide raises all boats? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. What we all benefit from having an educated society full stop the end. You can't tell me that raising the level of education in the state is going to harm A wealthy person. Because I
1: was, you know, at the Red for Red protest and everything and the walkout. I had petitions and I was getting people to sign and I had never done it before. And it was quite scary because I was waiting for the one person that was going to be like, no, and let me tell you why. And I was just going to be like, I'm just a teacher trying to get some money for the other teachers. And like, I had my (laughs) one person that kind of lost it on me. And I really... I don't I don't even know. I, it was like a, I was it was like I blacked out when it happened. But their argument was this is going to harm the business owners. And they're the ones that are really doing something for us because they're giving us jobs. And I'm like, hold up. Do you have something to say to that that argument? Because I'm sure you've heard that before.
2: If we could just back up to that one percent, that one percent. Um, By the way, they pay about $6 in taxes per hundred dollars. The people in the bottom 20% of of wage earners, they pay double. So they pay 12 something, right? So if we're talking about equity, this is one of the biggest things that I get all the time. You're going to raise taxes on only some of the people. That's not fair. (laughs) And I'm like, well, actually what we're doing is trying to level that playing field just a little bit more. And guess how much more? one cent if you're at the top four percent and three or four cents if you're at the top one percent so you're not even getting close to the amount of money that you owe us so for thinking about businesses small businesses any small business owner should be ecstatic that we are doing this because first of all those small business owners are not paying themselves two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars a year In my experience, those small business owners are paying themselves far less than they would pay somebody else if they were to pay them. Why? Because they don't have that cash available. So they're trying to make it work somehow, right? So small business owners would not be even remotely affected in this unless they're making over $250,000 as a single or $500,000 a couple. If you go to the website, investined.com, they talk about the average salaries of some of the people. So like a a family attorney or something like that makes $183,000 a year. That wouldn't be it. You wouldn't get it there. So
0: you're not. We're not taxing them no, either. No, right. No.
2: So small business owners should definitely invest because that means
1: your children are going to be able to problem solve better, or your uh, employees are going to be able to problem solve better. Education is the foundation of everything, and I it just I scratch my head to the point of it's raw, not understanding why people are like so anti funding education. So, as you know. The
0: point of our podcast is to journey with our listeners as we discover meaningful ways to participate in activism. We know this is important, and judging by our listeners' responses, you do too. One way you can support activism is by sharing this podcast with someone who would benefit from it. While you're at it, subscribe and review Act Locally on whichever podcast platform you love. And if you've still got a bit more action left in you, follow us on Instagram at Let's Go Underground and Andrea Goes Underground, and on Facebook at Let's Go Underground AZ.
3: Hi, this is Taylor Kirby from Talk About It. I know that you already enjoy my show where we have difficult conversations, but I also know that the world has gotten, like, really, really difficult. And I thought I'd put together something that could help us all out a little. I'd like to introduce you to my new podcast, We're Gonna Make It. It comes out twice a week, and each episode is just a couple of minutes where I give you a poem or a quote or something from a great thinker or philosopher that has meant something to me that I think can also mean something to you. So be sure to share and subscribe to my new podcast, We're Gonna Make It, a production of Underground Media, premiering October 6th with episodes every Tuesday and Thursday.
1: Wait, is this, is it, is it time yet? It's not time yet. Okay, so maybe we still have a few holidays until we get there, but here at Click Bloom, we wanted to send a message on behalf of all small business owners. This holiday season, shop small. Hit up your town's farmer's market, cruise some local shops online, and if you're a desert lover, definitely stop by click-bloom.com for some unique gifts that you can't get anywhere else. Let's make the 2020 holiday season one that lifts our communities and supports small business.
0: So it was written by a regular human being? The first time
2: around, it was written by a regular human being. And then when they rejected it. Okay, but the
0: second time, yes. So the second time it was written, it was written by a lawyer. Or who who wrote it the second time? So they
2: took essentially the pieces of the first one and the feedback that it received when it lost in the Supreme Court. And they changed, I'm not exactly sure what all changed in the whole legal bill, but what they changed was the ability for people to clearly understand, and, and still that same question, right? That people that made over 250,000 as a single or 500,000 as a couple would pay a 3.5% surcharge, on the amount that they make above 250000 as a single or 500000 as a couple. So I think one of the biggest pieces that changed in the bill was in the 100-word summary, ridiculously enough, that was challenged, what, four times now? I think it was challenged. Yeah,
1: I almost lost track. It,
2: <laughs> in a Supreme Court that had a very bloated set of judges, because mm-hmm. what, Ducey? changed it from five to seven judges and he Mm -hmm. appointed the two new judges i mean that's my opinion obviously but i mean it's not my opinion it's fact but (laughs) people write bills all the time do they really Yeah. Like who? Well, I mean, they write them. They don't necessarily get heard. So that's like another thing, too, because actually, let's just take that for a second. How many bills get written that never see the light of day? Because there are people that hold the power of whether or not they get a read. Who Who holds that power? Yeah.
1: Who are these gatekeepers?
2: (laughs) I think it's the majority leaders. I mean, you can't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure in the House and in the Senate of the Mm -hmm. state they hear specific bills that, that are valuable. You know, if you even look at pro- uh, when we walked out and how we were in there fighting for our lives just to get the definition of teacher to include X, Y, and Z people, <laughs> but they voted that down, right? It's the, same, mm-hmm. it's the same kind of idea. Politicians write bills, so does Alec actually, and mass produces them out. Who gets to decide what bills get heard? The people that are in power in the House and the Senate. So those people also get to decide, you know, what words to add or what words not to add to bills to make them more impactful. I've heard even that just changing a word the way the word is used or changing it to a different meaning changes the price amount or the obligation amount. So this is really interesting to me. I don't know a whole lot about it yet, but that's one of the things that I'm learning in my capacity as a an activist. So when I go to you know, the new district that I'm at and the guy that wrote the bill. And I thought, well, man, I'm going to be in my element. I'm going to get to do something. And then when it didn't pass, then we were like, okay, well, so now we have to retrain our brains. We lost a lot of people. They felt so deflated because they had worked so hard. And so that kind of alludes to the earlier question that you asked about like getting tired, right? So a lot of people just got tired and they felt like they put their heart and soul into every single thing that they did that that summer and it was fruitless and so they kind of curled up and and took care of themselves which they should do and then we see how I find people with a lot of struggle and strife in their life that they've had to deal with from like birth or people that have learned to deal with their struggles they've come across things they continue to fight in certain ways well if you were never an activist you might not go back to activism as you heal your heart and your soul But like me, I went into it and then we started walking. And we, so once we knew we didn't have the initiative, we started walking and we started helping out in 17 and 28, and I think 26. You know, like we're just trying to make changes in 12, District 12. So we're trying to make those incremental changes to put even one more person in. And guess what? If you can't get that person in, did you do your best to get their issues heard? Because if you can get their issues heard, then next time they go around, then it's going to be, oh, I know her. I remember that. You know, so maybe you had to take a step back and you couldn't do that
0: anymore. What is your next opportunity to get back up and fight? You know, it's like that Malcolm Gladwell book, right? It's it's opportunity and it is, what's the other thing? It's the two things that make uh, my... Friends going to be so mad at me that I forgot what that other thing is. <laughs> anyway, the point is, the point Malcolm Gladwell's making in <laughs> Outliers is that it's who you are that sets you up for success. And so sometimes it is the fact that you've had to fight and you know how to fight and you know how to be knocked down and you know how to get back up. And then those of us who have had it easy our whole lives, we get knocked down once and we're like, that hurt and we want to quit. And you saying, you know, the people who got up and kept fighting were the ones who were used to getting punched in the face. I look at the fact that he has stacked the court. I look at the fact that it was quite obvious mm-hmm. that the wording was very clear if you have a basic reading comprehension skill.
2: Again, something that was supposed to be done because of the fact that everybody would be reading it and it needed to be readable.
0: Looking at that... I get so upset and I think to myself, I can't push through this level of, I'm going to use the C word here, corruption. And you guys are still doing it. And that, you know, that's the thing that I'm already holding on to here is this long view and practicing and practicing getting up and understanding that if it's not this time, it's next time. And we are not going to stop because we can't be worn down because this is too important. Some things we checked out. The Senate President or Speaker of the House decides which bills get a first read in Arizona Congress. If a bill doesn't get a first read, it dies. The current Senate President is Karen Fan from Prescott. The current Speaker of the House is J.D. Mesnard from Chandler. Also, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, talks about opportunity and legacy. So I hope I get my street cred back with English teachers everywhere. Join us next week for part two with Christina Bustos. If you haven't already, make sure you are registered to vote. The deadline in Maricopa County is October 5th. And as always, thanks to Sam Luce
1: for our perfect music.